You understand the importance of enabling Republican candidates in Pennsylvania. At Get Elected, we focus exclusively on helping Republican candidates run winning campaigns. Visit getelected.org to learn more. Good afternoon, Pittsburgh. When you hear the music, you know what time of the day it is. It's time for The Elephant in the Room here on WJAS 1320 AM, Pittsburgh. I'm your host, Sam DeMarco, here with my trusty sidekick, John Schneider, Executive Director of the Republican Committee of Allegheny County, and our fabulous producer, Dazzling Daryl. He's the one that makes all the magic happen and gets what we're saying out to you. So welcome, folks. we got a great show for you today. Starting off, our first guest, very excited to, to talk to him. He's a fellow veteran, and he also is a member of the Pennsylvania State Legislature. Rob McCurry is the state representative in PA's 28th district. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you a little bit about Rob. Rob's from the area. And uh, Rob served, he attended the United States Military Academy at West Point and actually deployed to Baghdad as a member of the Embedded Military Training Unit. He returned home with a captain's rank and a bronze star. Now, Rob's not just a veteran and not just a state representative. He's a pretty smart guy. He has an MBA from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst and then worked for two major accounting firms in New York City. So after being recruited by PNC, he served as the company's vice president and financial risk manager. Now, currently, he and his wife, Kelsey, own a UPS store in Pine Township, so he's also a small business owner. Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, Sam. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. We appreciate you being on. We know you're busy here. Uh, session, or excuse me, the house is currently in session up there in Harrisburg. <clears throat> We're just with a break here for the weekend. But, uh, you know, what can you tell us about what you worked on this week? Well, first off, uh, Sam, and again, thanks so much for, for uh, having me dial in and, and, and share with, with your audience uh, all the good things that we're doing in Harrisburg. I do want to acknowledge, though, today is, a, on a bit of a sad note, uh, we lost a member of the House, former member of the House, uh, the Honorable Jeff Pyle, uh, was a long-time oh Armstrong County uh, representative, and he passed oh. away today. We just got word. So I just wanted to uh, send a, a uh, condolence note out to his, his family and, and, and all of his constituents. He worked hard in that district uh, for, for a couple decades and, and served with honor. So wanted to mention that at the top. Well, thank you very much. I had the opportunity to know Representative Powell. He's a good man, and he is going to be missed. He was a good man and, and, a, and a great public servant. And, I, you know, I'd like to start there, Sam, too, if I, mm-hmm. if I could, just to talk a little bit about uh, public service. And, and as a Marine, you know this. Um, I was a U.S. Army veteran. You mentioned that in my bio. You were very kind, too kind, honestly, in, in the way you introduced me. Thank you for that. Uh, but, you know, public service is kind of in our, in our bloodstream uh, when you're a military veteran. And there's a lot of honor in public service. A lot of times in the media, and in our public discourse, we kind of lose that, that people who uh, are working in the legislature are just there to, you know, get their uh, get theirs out of the system or to, to uh, you know, do something for, for their side of the aisle. Mm-hmm. But I've met so many uh, good public servants in this job uh, in the, you know, brief year and a half that I've, that I've been uh, an elected official representing District 28. Um, and so I would like this to start kind of bringing some some gratitude back and some dignity back to these uh, these offices where we really need our best and brightest to, to go to Harrisburg, to go to Washington, D.C., uh, and to uh, make laws and, and defend our values. And uh, and so I would just like to say uh, it's an honor uh, to serve in this way. And uh, and I look at that, look at it that way uh, every day I get up uh, early in the morning and drive to Harrisburg and, and vote for our for our uh, for our people. Well, Rob, thank you so much. For, uh, for bringing that up, because you're absolutely right. You know, too many people uh, fail to understand exactly, you know, what the role of legislators are today and, and recognize the fact that it, it, in many ways it is a sacrifice. It's not something in which you enrich yourself. You know, obviously you were uh, much better compensated, you know, at PNC, you know, than you are in this role here, although the reward you get from serving your community and helping make a difference in someone's lives I mean, there's no better feeling in the world because I know that's why I do this, right? <clears throat> but uh, but it is a sacrifice. And, you know, I want to thank you personally. And, you know, you're right. Uh, many of us who have sworn an oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, there is no expiration date on that. And that's why you see a you know, number of great veterans who have stepped up and are looking to serve here in Allegheny County. In addition to yourself, 
Representative Natalie Mihalik, you know, who served in the Navy. You have uh, Senator Devlin Robinson, who was another Marine. We have others. Our guest in the second half of the show, Don Nevels, you know, served in the Navy. <clears throat> so we have a lot of folks out there, um, you know, that have taken uh, their commitment to service to heart and are looking to uh, to do something here. So we really do appreciate it. And I personally appreciate what you've done stepping into the big shoes left by the former Speaker of the House, Mike Terzai. That's right. That's right. And he, he was such a, a wonderful example for me. He served 19 years. He rose to Speaker of the House of Representatives. Uh, and he accomplished a lot in his, in his tenure. Uh, he got uh, school choice reform done. He got pension reform done. Um, and he pushed back against a lot of the entrenched interests uh, that were kind of working against uh, the common sense values in the in the Commonwealth. Uh, he he went to the mat with Governor Wolf on um, uh, financial and fiscal responsibility uh, to make sure that the budget wasn't uh, overextended. And uh, in a lot of ways, uh, the the shape of the legislature today, with a number of of young uh, serving professionals and young, young veterans and and folks who are uh, willing to defend those same uh, priorities, uh, was shaped by uh, Speaker Terzai. So. Uh, definitely kudos to him, and, and uh, we continue to, to celebrate his legacy. Um, and we've got a lot of uh, really important priorities uh, laid out before us uh, for this legislative uh, session. Uh, we finished the budget um, in July, uh, and it was a really strong budget uh, that uh, met a lot of our conservative priorities as well, school choice uh, included. Uh, we actually uh, did our part to increase uh, the fund which uh, provides for educational improvement tax credits, uh, to allow more students uh, to go to uh, their school of choice, uh, meaning private or parochial schools, through this uh, program than ever before. Um, and uh, we have a waiting list of those folks. And this year, uh, for the first time, we were able to fully fund those programs so that there would be no waiting list uh, for those tax credits. So I'm proud of that. Uh, we also have been successful in a number of really strategic fronts uh, for our state. And if you think about Pennsylvania broadly, uh, we have a competitiveness problem. Uh, we've been losing uh, congressional seats since uh, the mid-1900s. Every 10 years, we've lost congressional seats. And we lost one, again, this past um, um, cycle, where the redistricting, reapportionment process left us with one fewer seats than we had the, the decade before. And uh, so people are not moving into Pennsylvania um, in droves. Uh, companies are not coming in uh, to, to, to establish themselves here like they were in eras before this. And, and so what I'm focused on, along with many of my colleagues, is how do we reverse that trend? And, uh, and there are some, some real ways that we're, we can do that and, and some tangible ways that we are doing that. And one of the uh, biggest wins that we had coming out of the budget cycle was that we, uh, we reduced our corporate net income tax, which was the highest flat corporate net income tax in the country at 9.99%. Um, we reduced it to by one percentage point down to 8.99 with the additional incentive of reducing it a point per year, uh, a half a point per year, I'm sorry, for the next 10 down to 4.99, which would be very, very competitive uh, for us to get down in that, in that range. And at that point, we're basically declaring open season in Pennsylvania for uh, major U.S. companies uh, to come in and and plant their uh, their operations here, which we hadn't been doing in the past. In fact, Governor Wolf had a big closed for business sign out on the doorfront of of Pennsylvania, and he did this in two ways. First, he told our growing uh, energy industry of clean natural gas and coal and oil uh, that we were basically uh, inhospitable to that industry. And he did that by um, entering into the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, which was an intrastate compact of New York, New Jersey, other uh, northeastern states. We were the only state that entered without the approval of the legislature and uh, a, a state that had a large uh, energy industry like Pennsylvania. And uh, so, you know, U.S. Steel and, and others we're just moving south, moving out of, of the Pittsburgh area. Um, and that's, that's terrible for, for jobs. It's terrible for our, our revenues. Uh, and so we pushed back and we took them to court. We passed a resolution that 
um, that disapproved of, of, of this regional greenhouse gas initi- initiative, which was a carbon tax on the industry. And uh, we want, went to court and won. Uh, and we're, so we're no longer a part of this interstate compact, and we've got a tax rate that is going down. Uh, and so as a Republican-led legislature, we are uh, kind of without the governor's help um, declaring PA open for business. Well, that, listen, that, that, that's all great news. And, and, Rob, you brought up a point you talked about, like U.S. Steel and other companies moving south. And for our listeners, you know, the, I mean, I know most of our listeners are educated and intelligent, and they recognize – exactly what this stuff means but for the folks who maybe need a little prodding you know when you have a company like u.s steel that is potentially looking to move out of this area i mean that could be three thousand jobs and those are good you know family sustaining wage positions and then you look at all the other industries that support them you know while they may have three thousand direct employees you know that's another ten to twelve thousand other folks who draw their sustenance you know from that industry and we can't just take and put a Band-Aid over that, you know, and replace those jobs with those wages when this stuff happens. And, you know, that's what's so concerning. And I think, you know, for all of us, I mean, I know you're up for re-election this year. For all of us, you wonder, how do we get that message out to people? Because you read these polls, and it's like you wonder, what planet are some of these people living on? You know, when I see a John Fetterman, you know, with a lead over Dr. Oz, Okay, right. renowned, world-renowned heart surgeon, entrepreneur, media uh, celebrity. And I just say celebrity, but he succeeded at the highest level. You know, Emmy award-winning. You had the was in 190 countries. His show was seen, right? <clears throat> so you have all this stuff, and yet people are looking. Your polls are telling you, oh no, people are preferring a guy who was a complete failure, Don and Braddock. Okay, has never who, who was drawing an allowance from his parents into his mid-40s. I'm sorry, I don't mean to digress and move off into that. We're talking about you. But I'm just talking about, you know, how do we how do we educate the public so they can focus on the things that matter, meaning, they're, meaning that their family and their children have jobs here and that That's those right. jobs can provide wages that can sustain them, you know? Yeah, I, I, great point, Sam, and and I do kind of fear this this uh, the polls are, are, are showing this negative trend. In a year when uh, you know our values and our view of where we want to take the country and the state really should be more prominent and and more appealing. Um, and I think you know it's tough to to fight these media narratives, but we just have to continue to educate uh, the public and our voters. Um, that one, they need to participate and, and get out and vote, either by mail uh, if they can't get to the polls, and, or, or certainly by going out to the polls and taking their family and friends and, and, and voting. Um, and so, because I do think there are a lot of hardworking, you know, conservative people, people who value uh, the, uh, the the history of the country and, and uh, our conservative mindset, that uh, want uh, strong candidates like Dr. Oz. Um, or certainly others statewide to to win this election. And it's certainly important, too, that we take the governor's mansion as well. Uh, So Doug Mastriano and his running mate, Kerry Del Rosso, um, would represent a vastly different outcome uh, than Attorney General Josh Shapiro. And uh, it's just uh, the reality that it's two different worldviews. One is, uh, including uh, the Fetterman worldview, but the Shapiro worldview, too, is a statist worldview where they want um, much more social programming. They want bigger budgets, more taxes. They want the government to, to have a hand in, in absolutely everything. And, and we, we already have a lot of that across the country with the Biden administration passing and, and signing trillion-dollar program after trillion-dollar program that is really spending us into oblivion and, and, and creating um, a dynamic in our economy and in our country where, where we're destroying value and experiencing a socialism that we've never experienced. And, and I've started to tell people, um, you know, when you go into a restaurant and, um, you know, there's no server available to take your order or to seat you to your table, that's socialism. There's destruction of value happening that we're experiencing because of this, um, this worldview that we can spend this, spend unlimited amounts, um, and and it's just not true. When you go to the gas pump and it's four dollars, five dollars a gallon, um, and we have the resources right here in the United States uh, to to pump and to produce, 
but we're not doing it, um, that's the effect of socialism. And so it, it's two distinct paths. And I think sometimes the media can confuse and confound uh, the truth of that. Uh, but we've got to, in an educated way, continue to get out that narrative. Um, and so I've been choosing to talk a lot about the economy and competitiveness, because I think that's one of the weak spots of that worldview. Um, and um, you can also point to, um, you know, the Fetterman, uh, uh, you know, uh, program and, and his views on, on, on the economy and look at Braddock. He wants to institute, uh, you know, as a U.S. senator, the Bernie Sanders approach, uh, which is a democratic socialism. And so we'll see a doubling down on the policies that led to uh, record inflation. Uh, and we still have that record inflation. Uh, so we need to uh, continue to, to educate the public, uh, get out our vote, and I think let the um, the truth of our d- ideas really win the day. And I think at the end of the day, they will, because, um, you know, the principles of free uh, economy and uh, hard work are the principles of the Republican Party, smaller government, um, to let our our businesses thrive and our people uh, choose how they behave and and uh, and that those principles are the principles that uh, will lead us forward as a state and as a country. Well, listen, that's awesome. Well said. I couldn't have said it better. You know, and, and Rob, you know, when you, you talk about these things and we say we hope that the public, you know, the public at large, you know, recognizes these things. Uh, I think, you know, when we talk about, I we have in the Republican Party here, you know, we've suffered a fractious primary, you know, in our local committees. We've been challenged and, and things like that, and we're split. You know, and we have many people, I hear it all the time, well, why should I take in a, what's good's a Republican majority in Harrisburg if they can't do things? And they'll throw out examples like repeal Act 77, or they'll point to the budget and, you know, and you can explain this from a 30,000-foot view. When you're putting together a budget that requires the governor's signature, you have to make sure that you have something required by law to pass. And that requires some type of compromise, you know? And while there may be an appointment made in Allegheny County that someone may not like, there's an appointment made somewhere else, you know, at the behest of Republican leadership, you know, to sort of try to even that out to some sort of compromise. Too many folks don't understand you know, the process, and, and we've all heard, hey, you don't really want to see how the sausage gets made. Do you want to give anybody sort of an inside look? And you don't have to go too detailed, but just what's involved here, you yeah. know, as you put this yeah. legislation together? Yeah, great point, Sam. And I think that is another reason why we need uh, smart, competent legislative leaders and, and executives as well who uh, can navigate a complex environment and a, a stressful environment where you have to. Um, kind of uh, meet multiple competing demands. And the budget process is, is one of those times where um, everybody comes into the budget uh, month and process with their, with their expectations and their, their wants, needs, and desires and priorities. Um, but it is a compromise uh, process. And it, it does take um, the ability to work across the aisle and, uh, and see the big picture. Um, we have to make sure that we fund our uh, first responders. We have to make sure that we uh, fund our schools. Uh, we have to make sure that um, our our social services get the dollars that they need. There's a lot of priorities out there that, as responsible legislators, we want uh, to continue to fund. And then we've got our new priorities. Uh, while watching the store uh, for a rainy day, and we put a, we put away five billion dollars this mm-hmm. year in our rainy day fund, which is a huge win. It's never happened. Uh, we've got the the uh, the most secure. Uh, rainy day fund um, in history in Pennsylvania, which is a really good thing. Um, and it does take compromise and uh, kind of big picture thinking. Um, so, you know, if you have a narrow interest and in, in say, you know, you, you would love to uh, see, you know, public schools funded in a different way, um, that's fine. Um, and, and, and I share a desire uh, for school choices to be a more prominent priority. Uh, but we've got to understand that change happens in Pennsylvania incrementally, and sometimes even incremental changes uh, can be revolutionary. For instance, this corporate net income tax that we got, we got 1% mm-hmm. reduction this year, and then a half point every year for the next 10. That doesn't seem like a drastic change, but in a big way, it signals to businesses 
and uh, you know potential job creators that Pennsylvania is again open for business, willing to negotiate down its its high corporate tax rate. Um, so looking at it that way allows us to kind of move pieces on the board um, and kind of be strategic about the priorities that we um, articulate and shift around while holding the line on on key things uh, like fiscal responsibility. We weren't going to um, you know empty out the rainy day fund this year, like many uh, Democrats wanted us to do and fund, you know, radical programs or, or um, additional uh, social uh, priorities. Um, and so we held the line on many things. Um, and we don't always get the credit for those because they're, they're things that didn't happen as opposed to, um, you know, some of the, uh, you know, spending that we did and, and that kind of thing sometimes can be criti- uh, criticized because uh, it looks like big ticket spending. Um, it is a compromise, and it does take a lot of big picture thinking. And I think I would ask, you know, our our side, our Republican team, to kind of stick with us, um, stay unified, um, and that we're stronger when we're together. Um, and that if they have questions, you know, feel free to engage in in constructive dialogue with their local representatives who took the vote on on, on the budget. Um, and uh, I, I I love that principle for us too, just as an encouragement to our listeners to stay unified because. Um, if we're to continue to take territory in Pennsylvania, win elections, win statewide, take back the governor's mansion, uh, win you know statewide Senate races, et cetera, this year and going forward, we really do need to be unified on, on our set of core principles. And then once we've got that unification, we can take our ground game and, and get people out um, and activate the base, activate you know folks who are working professionals who agree with us on uh, fiscal conservatism and, and want to see Pennsylvania grow again and, and, and boom again uh, like we can. Um, so that's what excites me is, um, you know, the opportunity ahead of us uh, to take Pennsylvania um, into it, its next phase, its next growth phase. And hopefully in 10 years when we're uh, counting again and, and doing the census, uh, we find that uh, we're adding back that lost uh, congressional seat. We'd love to see that happen, right? And I think so many of the parents and grandparents here, you know, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania would love to be able to have jobs for their children and grandchildren so they don't move away, you know, and they can see them grow up here, you know, in the place where they were born and raised. You know, hey, Rob, listen, if someone wanted to help you in your campaign to either volunteer or donate, how would they do so? So they can go right to my website, which is www.robmercury.com, R-O-B-M-E-R-C-U-R-I. And, uh, and you can go there for information on issues. You can go there to sign up uh, to work a poll. You can ask for a yard sign. Uh, you can donate there. Um, that's kind of the central place that I would, I would direct people uh, on the campaign side. And then if they need any help in the district, uh, we're in Wexford on Brooktree Road. And, uh, and you can always stop by uh, our Brooktree Road location as well or go to our uh, legislative page at reprobmercury.com. Fantastic, Rob. Now, hey, before I let you go here, because I know you ha- you're a busy man, you have places to be and babies to kiss and hands to shake. But before I let you go, um, when you're reelected, what are your top priorities going to next year? Yeah, thanks, Sam, and, and thank you so much for having me. Um, hey, we have uh, I, I put my priorities in kind of four different categories. So, fiscal responsibility which continues to push back on massive overspending that we're starting to get used to and uh, continue to fund our, our rainy day fund, but to be judicious about, about that overspending. Um, the number two is responsible energy expansion, uh, which means that we uh, invest in our clean natural gas, oil, and coal resources. We allow those industries to continue to grow and add jobs, but we do it responsibly, meaning as good stewards of the environment and, uh, and permitting for pipelines to uh, reach energy independence is a big part of that. So responsible energy expansion. Educational choices is, an, is my third priority. And, uh, and there it's really deferring to parents on what the best uh, mechanism and mode for educating their kids is. And so I want to fully fund um, uh, the opportunities for um, private and parochial school like we did this year with the EITC program while fully funding our, our great uh, public school teachers and, and schools. Um, and then finally, efficient, effective government is my fourth priority. And that is that our government in Pennsylvania is uh, oftentimes too slow um, and too cumbersome. 
Our permitting process is notorious uh, for, for, for delaying, taking years to get, uh, whether it's small business uh, permits or, or drilling permits, that it takes way too long. Um, and then the efficiency and effectiveness of our uh, unemployment system was just a disaster during the uh, pandemic. Um, and so there's that, that fourth category of effective governance is really something we need to work on. And uh, so fiscal, um, responsible energy, education, and efficient, effective government. And it's got a nice acronym to it, FREE, as well. Uh, so it's easy to remember. So, Sam, we're going to accomplish a lot in this next term on all four of those fronts. And, uh, and we're going to do it as a unified government and hopefully uh, with a Republican, Doug Mastriano, in the governor's office who will sign the great uh, legislation that we'll send to his desk. Fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it firsthand from State Representative Rob McCurry. Rob, thank you very much for joining us today on The Elephant in the Room. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. God bless. Folks, we'll be right back after the break at The Elephant in the Room on WJAS 1320 AM. With campaign season in full swing, hardworking committees around the country are fighting for every vote. Get Elected helps committees prioritize their activities, determine which voters need their attention, and what they need to hear to vote Republican. Visit getelected.org to learn more. Folks, welcome back to The Elephant in the Room here on WJAS 1320 AM. Again, I'm your host, Sam DeMarco, joined here again with my trusty sidekick, John Schneider, and Dazzling Daryl, our phenomenal and fabulous producer. He doesn't get enough credit. You know, I compliment the guy and he just just <laughs> shrugs, you know, sits behind the and that big electronic board and just makes makes all the magic happen. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> so hey, folks, in the last segment you heard from State Representative Rob McCurry. You know, as I said, Rob is an army veteran, graduate of West Point, and someone who took his oath of service seriously and has carried on and followed that up by serving in public service here in our state legislature. Here, I want to introduce our next guest, who's a candidate for the state legislature in the 35th Pennsylvania State Legislative District, and that's Don Nevels, who also happens to be a, a veteran. Welcome, Don. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sam. I appreciate it. Thanks, John, for having me. And of course, Daryl, thank you for all the magic. <laughs> <laughs> so, Don, hey, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Clareton. Uh, Joined the Navy when I was 17, went to boot camp shortly after graduation, stayed there for 14 years, uh, rose to the rank of chief. I'm a family man, a business owner, uh, as I said, a former Navy chief with 14 years of service, uh, and I have a business currently in Clareton. Okay, good, good. Now, hey, you're running for the state legislature. What has prompted you as a small business owner and family man to decide, hey, I'm going to get involved in politics because, you know, it's not the easiest thing in the world. And I mean, talk about slings and arrows, right? So what's prompted you to get involved and run? Right. And uh, with that, you know, my wife thought I was crazy when I called her one day <laughs> from work because I was tired of seeing Mike Doyle do nothing in the district for us. And I called her and I told her that I decided to run for Congress. Mm -hmm. uh, she said, well, you know, this is a big, a big feat, right? And I said, absolutely. But, you know, as a veteran, uh, I'm tired of sitting around and seeing all the politicians do what they want and the people end up paying the price for all their moves. Uh, I didn't see anybody stepping up. Doyle was in office for, you know, 20, going on 28 years. Mm -hmm. Half the time he's run unopposed. And I just couldn't understand that, so I thought I'd step up. Uh, and that's where I started my journey back in 2019, running, uh, trying to make a run against Doyle for Congress. Okay, so what's led you to this point now, running for state representative in the 35th legislative district against you know, and this is the funny part, right, for folks. <clears throat> These Democrats want to cover all their bases. Right. So you got State Representative Austin Davis, who's running for lieutenant governor, you know, on the ticket with Josh Shapiro, but also is running for state representative there in McKeesport. Exactly, Sam. And uh, I, I honestly don't like the way that that uh, has transpired. But then again, Davis was put into that seat in a special election. Uh, so he is on the ballot for lieutenant governor and for PA 35. However, we got word that he obviously is not campaigning at all in PA 35, only for lieutenant governor. So he's basically abandoned our district as is. Now, what he's trying to do is, or the Democratic Party is trying to do, they hope that the Democrats will just come out, vote blindly for him in PA 35. 
Now, the goal, obviously, of the Democratic Party is to win both seats. Our goal is obviously to keep him from winning both seats. But if he does happen to win PA 35, this gives the opportunity to the Democratic Party and not the people. If he wins PA 35 and lieutenant governor, he's obviously going to pick lieutenant governor. This will leave a void in PA 35, which allows the Democratic Party to pick the candidate they want to run against me in a special election. So to me, it's a backdoor way of getting in and because uh, special elections really don't draw a ton of voters. So that is the, the, what we're facing moments. Well, ago. you know what I think, one, one of the curious things is, <clears throat> it's disappointing, I guess, for the folks in, you know, in your district, because I know a lot of the hardworking, longtime union Democrats, working men and women, right? They just care about their families and their community. They want it to do better. And it appears like your opponent is just mailing it in, not bothering to show up, not bothering to work on their behalf, just running around wanting to be second fiddle or play second fiddle or second banana to Josh Shapiro. That's right, Sam. And uh, I've heard it all along the campaign trail you know, daily. We never get answers back from his office. Uh, we send emails. We get a canned response. Uh, he's never here. As a matter of fact, he has an office in Munhall, and I was told that he has actually never been to that office. Wow. So that, to me, is just, it blows me away because as a representative, you need to be there for the people. If you're not in Harrisburg, you need to be in your office taking care of the needs of the people. You need to be available for questions, phone calls. On all of my literature is my cell phone number. It's not some canned number. Mm -hmm. If you leave a message, I will call you back because I totally believe that that is the job of the representative, to be there for you and to hear your problems. Yeah, you have to be responsive to the people. Now, in the district, as you're going around, you're knocking on doors and meeting people, what are they telling you? What are the needs of the district? Well, what they're really looking at is obviously, I think the number one issue is the economy. Uh, number two after that is education and what's going on in the schools. I also talk to uh, the, the, the team and I, we talk to a lot of Democrats that are registered Democrats that are not voting that way. And unfortunately, I hear a lot of, you know, I work in the mill or I work for this company, so I just stay registered as a Democrat, but I vote Republican because the unions harass them or their place right. of employment harasses them. And, uh, you know, I just wish that they would all just take charge and register like they their voice should be heard because <clears throat> how bad is that when you can't even go to your uh, place of employment without worrying about your political affiliation? Like, are they going to keep me from advancing because of my political affiliation? That's a horrible, horrible atmosphere. You know, a few years ago, I would have shaken my head and laughed. But after watching what the Biden administration has done in politicizing and weaponizing, you know, the law enforcement arm of the federal government, I mean, I understand why some of these people are concerned. And that's that's one of the reasons why I think mail-in ballots, you know, and, and folks, I'll get into this in a second, but the reason why I think mail-in ballots are bad, because I think that opens people up to coercion. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you have folks that may be in a union and, their folks may say, hey, bring your ballots in. We're all going to fill them out together. <laughs> right. Okay. Or they go to a home, you know, and your spouse, your kids or somebody takes your ballot, fills this out. Okay. <clears throat> I think that uh, you should go to the polls unless you can't, you know, in which case you have an absentee ballot. Now, that being said, the rules in place today are we have mail and absentee ballots. So we should use them. Absolutely. To the fullest extent that we can. To make sure that every single voter's voice can be heard, you know. And uh, so I urge you, if if you aren't one hundred percent certain you're going to get to the polls, or if you weren't able to get to the polls last year, use the mail-in option. Get your vote in, put it in the bank, make it count. That's right. And uh, you know, unfortunately, we are stuck with Act seventy-seven right now. And when that first came around, I noticed a lot of Republicans were saying, you know, don't use the mail-in voters, don't use the mail-in voters. <laughs> I encourage everybody, if you can't make it to the polls, like you said, yep. get to the mail-in vote and mail it in and have your vote counted. Uh, we're in a very critical election year, 2022 and 2024. We have to pull off these midterm elections to start getting things right back in our district. Well, and it's important that not only do we continue to, to hold the, the majority in Harrisburg, but we need to increase the Republican numbers, just in case. We saw... Excuse me. We saw uh, during the pandemic with Governor Wolf shutting down businesses, telling you that you couldn't open, but your competitor could. Right. Putting in man place mandates 
uh, closing the schools, mask mandates on kids, mandates you needed to get vaccinations and things like that. Heck, it took the legislature to get on the ballot, a referendum, to roll back his power because they couldn't get enough votes to override a veto. I mean, it's important that we not just maintain our majority, but we increase our numbers. And you're a big part of that. If you were to win, what would you go to Harrisburg to do for your district? Well, the first thing I'm going to do when I win is I'm going to get to Harrisburg and we need to work on the economy. Because I firmly believe if we work on the economy, which here in Pennsylvania in my district is gas, oil, and coal, that's what we have naturally. We have to get back to energy independence. I believe if we get back to energy independence, that's going to help solve so many problems with inflation, the home prices, the interest rates will come back down. It's just going to solve a lot. So the economy is the first thing I want to work on. And secondly, I want to have an open door policy so I can hear the voices of the people and ask them what they want me to do for that district. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds great. Now, we talk about energy. You know, I was telling folks at a dinner I was at last week for the American Petroleum Institute, I said that, uh, you know, I think decades from now, even centuries, <clears throat> people will look back on us and say, what the heck were these people thinking? I mean, we're sitting on four to 500 years worth of, of cost-effective and relatively clean energy, but yet we won't use it because we're going to take and dump taxpayer dollars you know, into providing subsidies for a technology, solar and wind, that isn't mature yet. You know, think about this. In that last bill that Biden passed, there was over $330 billion in there that he's going to spend on subsidies in this industry. Think about what $330 billion could do to rebuild the infrastructure here in this country. Think about what that money could do to help ensure that our veterans, or excuse me, our current servicemen, them and their families aren't living in poverty and have to take and use food stamps. Think about what that money could do if it's directed toward workforce development programs, you know, or education that works, right? And there's all these different places we could spend this money on. But no, we're going to take and use it and throw it out the window, you know, while we have, again, we have a great source of energy underneath our feet. It's insane. It is insane. You know, so uh, tell us a little bit about your campaign. So my campaign, uh, we've been hitting it hard for the past, uh, heck, almost a year now. Um, My campaign platform is obviously fixing this economy like we talked about. Uh, I also want to incentivize local American companies to make the things we need, like medical equipment and automobile chips. Mm -hmm. Those are things that come from overseas that we really need to get a grip on because they can control us through uh, those manufacturings. Uh, Safety and security. What I mean by that is we have to ensure our law enforcement has the resources they need to carry out their job properly and also have the continued education they need to stay up uh, with all the current types of issues that they control. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also with safety and security, we talked about infrastructure. Uh, We had a chance to have some money for infrastructure. Austin Davis decided to spend it, $18 million on a uh, low-income apartment building in Clareton, which is continually losing citizens. I feel, now as much as I'm for low-income housing, I feel that money could have been redirected into infrastructure or something that would have benefited the whole district. Uh, Also with that, we have to stop the overreach of the government. And as you were saying earlier about Governor Wolf and the restrictions, Mm -hmm. I lost two businesses on the south side directly because of the policies of the Wolf administration during the COVID. When they, when they restricted all the bars and restaurants down there, if you don't have a uh, bar or restaurant on the south side, you live off the crowd from the bars and restaurants. Right. So when he put the restrictions into place constantly for almost two years on the bars and restaurants, it destroyed the crowd that came to the south side. And with a $3,200 rent, you can only live so many months when you have workers that are afraid to come to work because of the, the message that's being put out. So needless to say, we lost both of those business that we worked almost 24 years to get to that point. We had just gotten to the point where we were doing really well, and then the rug got pulled out from under our feet. Wow. That was another reason that I want to run. I'm just tired of seeing them do what they want, not get affected by it. And, well, uh, well, look, your business has suffered, right? And you and your family have 
personally paid a cost there, but they still haven't fixed it. Well, those mandates have been lifted, and Josh Shapiro supported every single one of those mandates that Wolf put in place. But the crime out there, down there, is out of control. There's been 81 shootings in the South Side, you know, since January. Now, your district, you know, crime is also an issue there. What are the people telling you in regards to that? Well, the crime is out of control, and it's all because of these policies of uh, no-cash bail and early release. Uh, we just saw the other day where Illinois came out with a list of crimes that they're not going to arrest people for or even hold them in jail, like second-degree murder, uh, kidnapping. I mean, that's all going to roll insane. downhill. It oh, is. Right. It is. It's insane. <clears throat> well, I always said that Pittsburgh here, we're like two years behind the times. So when fashion starts, whether it's in California or New York or you know, other things in culture and music or whatever. It takes a little while before it reaches us. And these crazy, outrageous liberal ideas, like getting rid of cash bail, not holding criminals accountable, you know, it's already here, folks. You know, we've had our shooter that we had in the original Monroeville Mall shooting a couple years ago, you know, he's he wounded five, wounded five in that first shooting. That's a kid that had been in trouble, committed crimes, but a judge had let out. Right. Okay, the shooter we had last year on Ross Park Mall was somebody that had been released early from uh, from uh, house rete- house detention, you know, by the judge. Two weeks later, shooting up Ross Park Mall. You know, uh, Allegheny County, the state refused to renew our license for Schumann Center, and by so doing, Schumann obviously closed. Right. So now they don't have a place to send these kids. So too many times when they're 15, 16. 17 years old, they're committing these crimes. Rather than sending them to the jail, they send them home with a with a uh, bracelet on. That's okay? right. You know, I, things need to change. If you're going to do an adult crime, you're going to need to do adult time. That's my that's my philosophy. I, I absolutely agree with you. We cannot be soft on crime. That's why these crimes are continuing to grow and continuing to get worse in every community throughout our district. We have to be tough on crime. We have to make people serve their full sentences, and we have to stop letting them out. Yeah, we, it's just, it's outrageous, and we, there's a lot of things we need to do. So, look, we talked about uh, the economy. We talked about energy. We talked about crime. Let's talk about education. What are the folks in your district telling you about education? Well, thankfully, there's a couple of good schools in our district. However, uh, we see the indoctrination creeping in and the school boards wanting to take control. I see the parents are telling me, uh, like I said daily as we're walking around, they're letting me know that they want control of what their child learns and how they learn it. And it's beyond me that that's even a question. Parental control, that's where it starts. Everything starts at home. And parents need a say-so in what their children are getting educated on. There's just no other, other approach to that. So what about workforce development in your district? Are there any training programs that they have right now where you think that there should be sort of help provide people the skills necessary to win some of these jobs here. Because, you know, a couple of years ago, the Allegheny Conference did a study. They called it Inflection Point. But they estimated that in Allegheny County by 2025, we would be short 80,000 jobs, right? And so you have these jobs that are out there. Well, Pittsburgh has been slow to recover, you know, from the pandemic and the recession, or excuse me, the pandemic. And uh, now we're here we are in a recession. we got to get these people trained and give them the skills to be able to take these jobs that are available right now here in our region. Absolutely. And uh, I'm not aware of all the programs that there are or if there's many, but I can guarantee you when I'm in office, I will ensure that there are training programs for these people. We have a lot of kids uh, that are dropping out of school because of crime and problems like that that really have nowhere to go and no direction. We need to provide a direction for them. And if it requires a training program so that they can land some good jobs and make a better future for themselves and their family, then that's what we have to do. Now, if someone heard you today and wants to help your campaign, Don, where do they go to do so? Uh, I would direct them to my website, which is elect Don Nevels. On you there, want to spell that? Spell that for them? Yeah. E-L-E-C-T-D-O-N. N-E-V-I-L-L-S dot com, electdonnevels.com. On there, you'll find uh, a link where you could donate. You'll also find a link where you can join Neville's Navy and help us spread the word throughout the 35th District. 
the time the time has come for a change. Uh, Austin has been there for four years, has done nothing except try to use it as a stepping stone for his next victory at the expense of the people. So electonnevels.com, that's where you need to go, and we'll take care of you from there. You know, hey, I like that <clears throat> catchy, catchy thing you talked about, Neville's Navy. <laughs> yes. Okay? I like that. You know, I grew up, I mean, Mikel's Navy was a show on there. I know you guys will be much more yeah. competent, but maybe not as fun. <laughs> Okay. We can be fun too, but, okay. but we have to be serious. Okay. Well, no, that's awesome. Well, listen, Don, what message would you want to leave the folks with that have listened to you today and ask them for their support on November 8th? The message I want to leave them with is first, you need to get out and vote. Please exercise your right to vote. It's one of the most important things you can do. When I get elected, I will be there for the people. I'm there to listen to you to find out what's going on, what you need taken care of. Party needs come after people needs. Fortunately, I'm part of the party that has the right answers right now. And I appreciate that. So I could use your vote to help you got to help you guys uh, make a better future for yourself. Well, Don, thank you so much for joining us here today on the elephant in the room. Stick around here. And we have a little couple of remarks we want to make here before we end the show, but it's been a pleasure. And thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure myself. <clears throat> hey folks. You know, I got a message here. I want to talk about something, something frustrating for me personally. It's looking at polls or listening to what the narrative that the mainstream media is trying to push. They're out there telling us that John Fetterman is somehow leading Dr. Mehmet Oz in the race for the U.S. Senate. <clears throat> so I want to talk a little bit about that. You know, and I want to leave you with this message, okay? Fetterman failed Braddock. If he's elected, he'll fail Pennsylvania. Scattered across Pennsylvania are countless factory and mill towns that were once bustling with all the signs of a thriving economy and the joys of everyday American life. But through the years, as jobs left these pockets of life across Pennsylvania, so did many of the people in any real sense of opportunity. Over time, those who stayed felt simply forgotten by our country and our leaders. Now, one of those places, the borough of Braddock, is just 11 miles outside of Pittsburgh for those of you who don't know, and it only has 1,800 people. Now, that's near the lowest population in its history. You know, the borough is a hollowed-out shell of its former glory. During its heyday back in the Second World War, it was an 18,000-person community, but it's now underpopulated and wrangling with ongoing concerns of unemployment, crime, drug abuse, and hopelessness. The median income in Braddock is only $14,000 a year, and more than one-third of Braddock's households live below the poverty line. Braddock also has one of the highest crime rates in the Commonwealth, a fact that has been true for some time now. Now, it's hard to believe that a community like Braddock, with such real struggles and the need for true leadership, attracted the attention of someone as unremarkable as John Fetterman, who shortly after moving to Braddock in 2005, managed to get himself elected mayor. But his move would turn out to be much more about using the town to create opportunities for himself rather than bringing opportunities to the families of Braddock. Reports indicate that Fetterman skipped at least one-third of the borough's monthly meetings, at least 53 meetings to be exact, and in all his time as mayor, 12 years, he cast only one vote during his tenure. During those 12 years, it's said that Fetterman never got around to developing relationships with either town residents or even the town council. So what did the no-show mayor actually do? For this struggling town, a few jobs, and high crime. By many accounts, he pursued an agenda focused on art installations, a fine dining restaurant, and climate change. Instead of basic things like more jobs or safer streets, John Fetterman said, let them have sculptures and carbon caps. Because John Fetterman apparently thinks that's the way you invite manufacturing jobs back to the southwestern part of the state, give them good aesthetics, and expensive, unreliable energy. Even Fetterman's successor, Mayor Sarday Jones, pointed out the lunacy of coming into the town and telling people what they need instead of listening to the residents and working with community leaders. <clears throat> but John Fetterman didn't care. He used his failures as mayor to find greater fame among people who've never actually seen Braddock, never been to Allegheny County, and never known the issues faced by our communities. That's why John Fetterman went on a national tour, including a TED Talk and the Aspen Ideas Festival, to brag about he was, quote, Saving Braddock. 
And during that time, Braddock continued to suffer. During Fetterman's tenure, the population continued to fall, and one-third of the population lived in poverty. Violent crime spiked dramatically between 2013 and 2018, with the numbers peaking in 2017 as the number of reports to local police quadrupled compared to 2006. Similarly, robberies in the area surged in 2017, along with property crimes, burglaries, larceny theft, and motorcycle vehicle theft. <clears throat> Despite his demonstrated failure to show up as mayor, John Fetterman has continued to push his radical policy ideas that make no sense for real communities. In November of 2021, when asked if he had a magic wand and could change one thing in Pennsylvania, he said he would end life while parole sentences for convicted murderers. Are you kidding me? <clears throat> Folks, these stories encapsulate the true failure John Fetterman has been for the people of Braddock and Pennsylvania, but that has not stopped him from failing upward again and again thanks to the financial backing of his family. For a large part of his life, his main source of income came from his parents. They gave him him and his family $54,000 in 2015 alone. This funding helped support Fetterman throughout his life, including his group Braddock Redux, which he uses to operate with limited accountability and go around the Braddock Borough Council. But even with the cushy support of his parents, he struggled to do basic things like pay his taxes. Over the years, Fetterman and his nonprofit were hit with tax liens totaling over $25,000, and the nonprofit was sued 67 times. From 2006 to 2012, <clears throat> Fetterman's residential properties were subject to more than $11,000 in liens for unpaid property taxes and garbage fees. With this horrible track record, it's no wonder he doesn't want to debate Oz in the race for U.S. Senate. It's no wonder he's been hiding from voters whether to cover up his record or lie about his current health status. How can we expect a guy who couldn't show up to lead a town, earn a real paycheck, pay his taxes, run a nonprofit, or understand the basic needs of our communities to be our next U.S. Senator? Bottom line, we can't. But we can expect John Fetterman to find a way to fail upward again, one way or another. Folks, thank you for listening to The Elephant in the Room here on WJAS 1320 AM.